For Arizona Public Media, I'm Mark McLemore, and this is Arizona Spotlight. Coming up, go backstage for a performance of Beauty and the Beast at the Arizona State Schools for the Deaf and the Blind. I'll have a conversation with comedian Martin Short about the origin of Ed Grimley and how he became the third amigo. Julie Newmar, the first TV Catwoman, talks about her joy at being part of Batman's world and exploring the internet at age 80. That's all coming up next on Arizona Spotlight. Students from the Arizona State Schools for the Deaf and the Blind are working with Tucson nonprofit Arts Express to present a performance of the Disney version of Beauty and the Beast. Sandra Westall meets the directors and student actors who for four months have been working to speak, sing, and sign at the same time to tell the story. Our first thought was to pick a show that the students this year would be familiar with. And we thought this one just had a really nice message. Here we go. Ah, human again. So my name is Kate Scally Howell, and I am the music director for our current production of Beauty and the Beast. And I also teach music here at the School for the Deaf and Blind. There's really nothing exactly like this that try to bring kids from the different communities together and have them work together and communicate together from the deaf community and the blind community and then um, kids just from the general community. What you see is in the beginning everybody is a little uncomfortable because no one really knows should I go over and talk to that person? Can I talk to that person? Am I going to offend somebody if I say something wrong? Okay, so here's the measure before. I, I just handle the music, that's my job. I'm supposed to teach the music to everybody and make sure they sound good. And then Luke is the director, so he really puts all the little pieces together. Yeah. So before you start saying your lines? It's always a challenge when you bring people uh, from different backgrounds or different cultures into one space and um, try to have them work together. Uh, in this case, we've got people who speak different languages which is yet another challenge. My name is Luke Howell, and I'm the director of uh, Beauty and the Beast. And I work at the ASDB as well. We want to make the show fully accessible, and we yeah. feel, feel like part of that and is... entertaining. And entertaining. <laughs> if it's entertaining to people right. who speak That's English like and entertaining to people who speak American Sign Language, then it's fully accessible. And so that um, the people who come who are from the deaf community are getting exactly this, well, not exactly, but a very similar experience mm -hmm. um, as everyone else. This bed is broken! What? When you first are watching it, you'll have a couple moments where visually you might be a little confused because there are two people playing one character, basically. 
we've, we've split all of our characters in half, and so we have an ASL version and we have an English version, and we've costumed them, costumed them similarly so that the audience will understand that they're supposed to be the same person or two halves of the same person. Well, my name is Eva Maria Tenori. Um, I'm 12 years old. I go to school here at ASTB, and I play Babette in Beauty and the Beast. So you lied to me. My condition is congenital. It has to do with my optic nerve that doesn't get the message to my brain. I was born with it. Last year was my first time being in a production. Uh, I learned how to move around the stage and learn where things are. And now I'm learning to put more character into my character. Yes, you did. No, I wasn't. Yes, you did. People who are visually impaired um, or deaf can do stuff like normal people that can see. It's like when Aaliyah guides me on for human again. It's really fun because um, you get to learn about other people from the community. I came here with the expectation that I was going to be working with blind and deaf actors and that it was going to be either completely similar or very similar to Beauty and the Beast. I was off. <laughs> this is much more lively. This is so much more filled with acting and character and charm. Gaston, may I please have my book? How can you read this? My name is Jonathan Leslie. Uh, I go to San Miguel High School uh, and I'm 15 years old and currently I'm playing uh, speaking Gaston. More important things. Like you. <laughs> exactly. Throughout my experience here, I've learned that you don't necessarily have to help these people because they've learned how to navigate, how to get around from place to place. These people are so powerful because they have skills that others don't. I haven't had any acting experience at all, but this performance, this acting experience has really allowed me to open up. And it's given me a sense of uh, confidence uh, with myself that wasn't there before. I'm really excited for this to um, come together. And I'm also excited for next year because I love the experience. Yeah, I want to come back here again for the friendships I've made. When we brought the group together, no one really understood what the abilities of the other people in the room were. And pretty quickly they realized that everybody was pretty much the same. And yeah, yeah you, there, wasn't, there wasn't anything to be uncomfortable with. I think there's a great lack of understanding of the deaf and blind communities. And it gives people a chance to gain more understanding of those communities. And I think in many cases realize that the people who come to our school, to the ASDB, are just people. That story was produced by Sandra Westall. Beauty and the Beast runs April 24th through the 26th at the Burger Performing Arts Center. More information is at azpm.org.
So this is a very popular character with a many of the fashionable wordings, you know. And this, I just uh, don't do anymore. And this is fabulous. Oh, oh, that is incredible. <laughs> Annie, that's just like the one we saw in the magazine. Mm -hmm. Do you like it, Dad? Well, what is that? Is, is that dollars, twelve hundred dollars? Black and muscle banks. This is a very reasonable price for a cake of this magnitude. A cake franc is made of flour and water. My first car didn't cost twelve hundred dollars. Welcome to the 90s, Mr. Bonks. <laughs> Martin Short's fearless approach to being funny made him a comedy icon more than three decades ago. His traveling show, An Evening with Martin Short, visited Tucson last year and gave me a chance to talk with the Tony and Emmy Award-winning performer about some of his favorite characters, including Ed Grimley and Jiminy Glick. Many of Short's best-known creations go back to the early 1980s and his first appearances on American television. In a very fond way, I think I will always think of you as the funny new guy on SCTV. The interloper. <laughs> because that is how you first entered my consciousness. Yes. And you came on with this incredible barrage of characters and this great energy, and I think by the time you performed Jackie Rogers Jr. for the first time, I was a fan for life. <laughs> so tell us about that time for you and the excitement of stepping up there alongside your friends on the big stage of SETV. Well, needless to say, it was daunting. But what made it easier was that these were all my old friends. Eugene Levy and Dave Thomas and I had gone to university together. Andrea was married to my brother-in-law. Uh, Catherine O'Hare I'd known since she was 17. John I'd already known for 10 years. Joe for 10 years. Clarity. John Candy. So it was so supportive and nurturing so that if you did a piece in your you know, now in the Edit Bay, I'd say, Joe, get in here, help me. I don't know what I'm doing here, you know. And it just felt like uh, it, it couldn't have been a more um, comfortable way to start it all. And they also knew, listen, they had lost. Uh, I came in, I did three shows uh, with Catherine and Dave and Rick, and then they left SCTV, so it was just a cast of five, John Candy, Eugene Levy, Andrew Martin, Joe Flaherty, and myself. So they knew that I had to carry my weight, and I was never hesitant to ask for help. One of the things that I'll first remember you doing is a, a fake commercial for shower in a briefcase. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember uh, getting splashed with mud and stuff, shooting that? Uh, I that do, part? I do. I remember, uh, the premise is I'm covered in mud by a truck, but in my briefcase I have a full-fledged, massive, you know, fire engine type <laughs> deluge. deluge of water. And then you flip the other side of the briefcase, and it's a, the strongest hairdryer imaginable that actually blows me down the street. And as I was rolling in the street, they kept throwing, they had big fans, they kept throwing things at me. And it actually, someone threw a tree, and it rolled and hit me in the head. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> but I used to do things on SCTV, and I would get, you know, I would get people in trouble inadvertently, like uh, there was a second unit director that almost got fired because I talked him into letting me climb this massive tree to sit in, uh, during a Jackie Rogers piece. And of course, I wasn't tied off. And I could hear him being reamed out by the executives, you know. <laughs> Do you realize we have insurance? Do you realize what would have happened? Had he, you know. 
Well, Jackie Rogers was a big star. You could you could yeah, see why they want to protect absolutely. him. Absolutely, old Mother Nature, she loves me. <laughs> was um, the fellow who just couldn't wait for Christmas? Was that the first Ed Grimley or one of the first? Uh, it was one of the first. <laughs> Where did that character very first originate? What was the spark? Um, there was a guy I went to school with who used to talk like this. He wanted to be a photographer. His voice always went up. And it was, but it was also kind of a mellow voice. And so I'd say, uh, hey, Sean, so um, what did you do this weekend? I took a lot of slides, but I didn't develop them because I took them. and Therefore, I know what they are. And I go, oh, i got to remember this voice. And so when I joined Second City Stage in 1977 in Toronto, um, there was a scene called Sexist, and I just started doing that character. And then, and then I don't know, you know, you keep doing things and you add a mafe. And I remember the hair, I would grease it a little bit. And Peter Aykroyd, who was in the scene, brother of Danny, said to me, boy, that hair is standing strong, taller every performance. So to make him laugh, I put it into a point of grease. And the audience laughed. And I thought, wait a second, isn't that, isn't that what I'm trying to accomplish here? So um, the hair stayed. <laughs> and the character grew around the hair. The hair, yes, exactly. <laughs> One time, Dorothy Gish was visiting me on the set of Little Nettie, Grab Your Gun. And she came up to me, and she looked me in the face, and I'd never met her. I'd just known her from the films, you know, Dorothy Gish, Lillian's sister. And she looked me in the eyes, and she said, Young man, you have got it. Dorothy Gish. It's a true story. You're on your way to Tucson, and I know you've been here before. I interviewed the fourth amigo, Randy Newman, just a few weeks back, and he shared some memories of being uh, here in the Southwest. Uh, what's your memory of being in Tucson and, and uh, this region? Oh, I just remember, well, it was so exciting. It was my first movie, and uh, we shot most of it in Tucson. Some in Simi Valley in California, but most of it in Tucson. It, it was, uh, you know, it couldn't have been more exciting. It was. I remember at the beginning I was doing an impersonation of myself, relaxed, because I didn't know Chevy Chase, I didn't know Steve Martin. And so, and yet I was being asked to be, you know, an equal amigo. And so it was pretty exciting. What is it about showbiz that fuels so many of your characters? Um, I, I think sometimes it's just because I'm always in it. I mean, I think that Jiminy... Glick, for example, is a character that could have worked equally well in politics, for example. He could have been a uh, member of the House of Representatives. He would have a staff. Because what draws me about characters are usually about attitude. Like Jackie Rogers Jr. had no talent, but he (laughs) pretended to have talent and was constantly bringing up his late father, who did have talent. And so that's why he knew he was in show business. So this is, and you, we see examples of this all over the place. And so Jiminy Glick was just a moron with power, someone who had a staff, uh, you know, some assistant scared to screw up the tuna fish order. You know, people are saying, how's his mood today, you know. But this is an idiot. The reason Jiminy Glick was in show business is because I was doing a talk show for King World, and I wanted someone to go up there to junkets, but I didn't want it to be me. 
So it's really, it's really, you know, Ed Grimley, it was a character not in show business, but in SCTV he was because SCTV was a network. So Ed Grimley became an actor who would do TV movies for SCTV. <laughs> Which seems so incredibly improbable. <laughs> yeah, Billy the Kid, he did the Nutty Lab Assistant, you know, hard-hitting stuff. I was a little bit daunted in doing an interview with you because of Jiminy Glick, a character that I have a, a strong fascination for. But it's because through that character, you have lived out so many interviews on both sides of it. Um, give me a tip as an interviewer on how to do a good job. Well, as Jiminy used to say all the time, my big issue with Charlie Rhodes is that he listens, and I think that's a mistake. He once said to Mel Brooks, what's your big beef with the Nazis? You know, so he hasn't done any research. <laughs> at all. He said to Steven Spielberg, why don't you got to do the big one, the big one that connects with the people, you know. He doesn't even check the filmography of Spielberg. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll remember that. Less research is the way to go. Um, tell us something about working with the great Jan Hooks. Oh my God, there was no one funnier. No one funnier. Because <laughs> she would get into these characters as well. We did an amazing special, 90-minute special, 1995, called The Show Formerly Known as The Martin Short Show. And in that show, she played everyone from Brett Butler to Faye Dunaway to David Letterman's mother. And uh, just brilliant, 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 brilliant. And so, so sweet and funny. That was comedian Martin Short. Oh, I can't believe it's a white Christmas. I mean, it couldn't be much more perfect, I must say. Thank you, Bing. Oh, as if he had anything to do with it. But you know, I bet in a way he did. Oh, this is insane. I gotta get to sleep. It's like torture. What if I woke up in the morning and I found out my stocking was full? I think I would be found dead from excitement, you know? Okay, that's it. I gotta go downstairs and see if anything's happened yet. Get to bed! They're right. I should be in bed, but I'm just too excited. Oh, this is the best. I know that Batman and Robin will swallow the bait. And when they do, I'll be rid of that dynamic duo once and for all. Trivia buffs will tell you there were three actresses who played Catwoman in the 60s opposite Adam West as Batman. And there have been three more since in feature films. But none is more iconic than Julie Newmar. She's appeared on Broadway in more than 25 movies and 100 TV shows in her career. Today at 80, Newmar devotes most of her time to caring for her special needs son, and she maintains an active online presence. She also gardens. She now has three varieties of flower named after her, thanks to fans in the field of botany. I started my conversation with Julie Newmar by telling her a personal story. I was born in 1969. So I was part of the generation that grew up seeing Batman in reruns. Yeah. And one of my earliest memories, Julie, mm -hmm. is throwing a fit, a tantrum in the living room <laughs> and spinning around angrily because Watergate was on again. <laughs> and therefore, Batman was not going to be on that day. And at the top of my lungs, I hollered, Watergate, Watergate, I'm so sick of Watergate. <laughs> I was, prob I was oh, probably three. I think I have tears in my happy eyes. <laughs> that is too, too great. Every time there's a new Batman movie now, you invariably get sought out for an interview. You get pulled into it somehow. Mm -hmm. How has that been for you to 
revisit that era of your life so often and so intensely through the needs of other people? It's a very beautiful thing because even though the spotlight is on one part of your life, it helps to to push the blood to the other areas in which maybe you weren't noticed or not appreciated because it seems to me that every effort or every part or every job that we do, that I do, that you do, I'm sure, we give our best. We try to. And for some reason or another, it may have not been noticed because maybe the timing was off. Pharrell Williams talked about that. Happy, I think, is his new song, Mm -hmm. which wasn't a big success in the beginning, but interesting, yes? Well, I wonder if there's an acting role that you wish you were asked about half as much as you're asked about Catwoman. Let me see. I was Alice in Wonderland when I was seven years old. I was Alice. (laughs) That's when I could memorize every word and had no problem with it, but of course I had no sophistication. Um, now I go I go through my parts like a fine-tooth comb. What is funny about this line or this word? Or could we give this a little arch? Or I hope they um, give us some time with that line, you know? It, to me, um, acting is like sculpture or even more like music. The timing is, is of highest importance. Rehearsal isn't always possible for television roles, but how important is it to you? It's hugely important to to rehearse and know where you are, and also it's hugely important to be, as if the first time, spontaneous. So television has smartened us up in the performance business because we luxuriate on the stage. I mean, you can do your part for a year and play 365 performances, and you do get better up to a point. So it's it's nice to have both outlets. In my meticulous research, which was a pleasure to do, by the way, I did uncover that you visited Tucson once before, at least, and that was filming an episode of Route 66. Oh, yes on a motorcycle out in the desert and um, at night when it was cool and nice and the stars were out and uh, it was a beautiful place. So I look forward to being there this weekend. <laughs> well, I, you know, online, the character that you played in that episode, Vicky, who was a very free-spirited character, sounded very much like you. Let me just say, every actor, actress, I like the old word, needs a good writer. A great part or having any kind of public success richly depends on the writer. And indeed it was, because that was Sterling Siliphant. He was the mastermind and creative artist and writer for that. And, and he was wordy. I'm no gazelle, doctor, leaping from ledge to ledge in the dark, something to be tracked and classified. So please don't send for leads in what I say. Really, I'm not that difficult. I'm neither depressed, nor obsessed, nor indecisive, nor tense, nor afraid. Actually, all I want to do is muss people's hair and show them how grateful I am to be alive. Do you go online a lot? That's where I am all the time. You seem to be very comfortable with it. 
Well, when you get toward my, um, what's that three-letter word, age, mm. <clears throat> you find a lot of pleasure <laughs> being online. <laughs> There's a huge audience there, and a new one, as a matter of fact, and it's spectacular. It's like owning your own theater. Yeah. I'm about to put a, a new blog up here. It was so funny this morning. It, it was... Uh, came up on the Washington Post. Secret Service wants a sarcasm detector that can monitor social media. It has to do with the heaps of snark. <laughs> the NSA is de- is detecting all over the Internet. I think that's so hilarious. I think they should hire a nine-year-old. I think teaching a computer to understand snark would probably be very bad. Well, get nine-year-olds. Yeah. That's the answer. Oh, I see, yes. See, right. of course. Wetware. <laughs> yes. Wow, that's that's great though, because I've wondered about that. Mm-hmm. You know? Yes. Yeah. Oh, they just can't keep up with us. <laughs> Can you contrast the different things you might hear from female fans as opposed to male? Well, kind of. Yes. The really interesting thing is that now people put online what in the past we only used to think. And I look at these uh, Batman, the YouTube clips and scenes, and then you go in and you see what the comments are. Oh, my. I'm going to use them as as comedy lines when I'm in my next appearance somewhere. Yeah, you could write a script. I mean, people will tell you off like crazy. You've got to get used to it. But I won't get into that. I'll tell that another time. Julie Newmar told me she still loves being recognized as Catwoman today. She spoke to me from her home in California. Thank you for listening to Arizona Spotlight. You can now find podcasts by searching Arizona Spotlight on iTunes. This show originates from the AZPM Radio Studios. The production engineer is Jim Blackwood. The music is by Calexico. I'm producer and host Mark McLemore.